scriptures today. The first one is from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, which can be found on page 1706 in your Pew Bibles. Saul's conversion. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. The second passage is from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, and that can be found on page 1,846. The Lord's Grace to Paul. Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Thank you, Christy. Let's just take a moment to quiet our hearts in silent prayer before we reflect on the word. Let's pray. Amen. Well, from time to time, different publications and universities come out with a list of who they think are the most influential people that have lived in human history. And that list often includes inventors and scientists that had breakthroughs, rulers and politicians, philosophers, writers and activists, and often at the top of the list are founders of religions. A guy named Michael Hart, an astrophysicist and author, wrote a book called The 100, a ranking of the most influential people in history. 
And the top five in his research include, number one, Muhammad, founder of Islam, Isaac Newton, Jesus Christ, Buddha, and Confucius. But interestingly, number six on this list of the top 100 is the Apostle Paul, the main character of our story in our scripture this morning. In doing some research with this, there were actually some lists that had Paul ranked higher than Jesus. Why is this man considered so influential in history? The answer lies in the fact that it's Paul who spreads the resurrection story of Jesus of Nazareth and who spreads the good news Jesus preached into Western Asia and into Europe and beyond, establishing churches all over the place which eventually multiplied themselves. And in the process of this missionary work, he writes half the New Testament, which people are still reading today, 2,000 years later, and are following. Paul's influence in the development of Western civilization is unquestionable. However, Paul, whose name used to be Saul, is not always so friendly towards Jesus and towards his followers. Actually, Saul radically and militantly opposes believers in Jesus. He's a learned Jewish rabbi. He thinks that Jesus is a fraud and that his followers are a threat to the Jewish religion. Our story begins in Acts 9-1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He's gone to the authorities. He's gotten permission and letters to arrest Christians in the city of Damascus, which is in the news today, and to bring them back to Jerusalem to be in prison. Saul if you go back a couple chapters, is standing there holding the cloaks of those who are stoning the first Christian martyr, Stephen. He's approving of what they do. Acts chapter 8.3, uh, But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them into prison. How did this hostile Rabbi Saul go from being fanatically opposed to Christians and the developing church to become Paul, the greatest missionary in the history of Christianity. What happens to Saul is considered by some as a major evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And... It reveals the powerful grace of God. It all begins with his conversion. On his way to Damascus, we're told that suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asks. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, get up and go into the city and you'll be told what to do. 
The other men who were with Saul, they're speechless. They hear the sound, but they don't see anything. And Saul, when he gets up, he's, he's blind. He can't see anything. So they take him by the hand. They take him to Damascus, find him a place to stay. And for three days, he, he doesn't eat or drink or see anything. This is the beginning of Saul's transformation to becoming a believer in Jesus. There is no one who expects this to happen. His opposition to Christ is just strong and radical. It would be like if Osama bin Laden converted to Christianity or Stephen Hawking, the atheistic scientist, came to Christ before he died. If Jesus Christ is resurrected, everything in Saul's life is shattered because he's committed his life to destroying the church and promoting the Jewish religion. Now a question for us is, is Saul's conversion from unbelief to belief something that is typical or exceptional? Does everybody have to have a miraculous conversion and have a lightning bolt knock you down and, and hear a voice, uh, uh, the voice of Jesus calling your name to become a Christian? No. The answer is no. Of course not. Some people do have this kind of experience, but most do not. But everyone, to some degree or another, must encounter Jesus and the historical facts of his resurrection. When Saul asks, who are you? He gets the answer, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The resurrected Jesus is talking to him, revealing himself to him. And this encounter changes everything for Saul. Now, for most of us, coming to faith in Christ has been a gradual experience. It comes in stages, even though it's life-changing. For me personally, I grew up, I was baptized and confirmed in the Episcopal Church. I always believed, as long as I can remember. I attended church regularly, and I was even an altar boy. But Jesus was not at the center of my life. He was not my compass. There was no commitment to him. My faith was very immature. The summer between my junior and senior year of high school, I attended a Fellowship of Christian Athlete Conference in Estes Park, Colorado, same place where our youth go for Rocky Mountain High. And during that week, I was challenged. And I was humbled. And in that experience, I, in a very gentle way, encountered the living Christ. And I came to surrender my life to him. I started to take the faith I did have, as immature as it was, seriously. And it changed my life. It redirected my life. So there's many ways for people to come to faith in Jesus. The main thing in this story is the sovereign grace of God. Notice how it is God who takes the initiative. 
God takes the initiative. It's the first step in Saul's conversion. It doesn't appear that Paul is a seeker in any way. He's not asking any questions, at least that we know. He's not searching for any answers. He's dogmatically opposed to Jesus. Until God breaks through all of this resistance and all of this unbelief, he humbles Saul. He confronts Saul. And what we see is a sudden, unpredictable conversion. Yet at the same time as possible, Jesus had been working on his heart. And Saul didn't even know it. Think about this. Saul knew the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament forward and backwards. He taught it. So he knew the teachings about a Messiah, the promises of a Messiah. When he retells the story in Acts 26, Saul quotes Jesus as saying to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right, but goads means something that pricks or prods. Like the man in the picture, he's prodding these cattle. And Jesus is saying, you've been kicking against that. It doesn't work very good, does it? Jesus has been working on him. And then Jesus humbles him by knocking him down to the ground and shining this bright light and blinding his eyes and then audibly talking to him. But friends, in all of this, Saul still has a choice. God does not trample on his free will, his ability to choose, and Saul chooses. He chooses to obey. He does what he says. He goes to Damascus. And eventually everything starts to come together for him. And he becomes part of the church that he's persecuting. The evidence that Saul has truly been converted is in the change that comes into his life. For three days while he's blind, we can assume he's thinking about the implications that Jesus is really alive and he's been persecuting him. And as the story unfolds, we see Paul change his thinking, particularly about Jesus. He reevaluates his whole outlook and how he interprets the Bible and how he interprets life. Remember, it is Saul who writes in Romans 12 too, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what's happening to him here. His mind is being renewed. This leads to his changing his priorities. He goes from destroying Christians to joining them and advancing the kingdom. You look at this guy's life. He's a one-track kind of person. He sets his mind on something and he goes after it all out, 200%. And now he's changing tracks. And before long, he's preaching in synagogues in Damascus that Jesus is the Son of God. Saul changes his relationships. Everybody on the campaign with him to persecute the church, they desert him. Paul uh, meets new people. God brings new people into his life. If you read on in the story, a man named Ananias is sent by Christ to Saul 
to pray with him and, and, and so that Saul would be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive his sight back. The first thing that happens after this is they baptize him. Ananias connects Saul with other Christian disciples in Damascus. They're all afraid of him. They're terrified of him. But Ananias is the link. Later he goes to Jerusalem and nobody wants anything to do with them until a man named Barnabas steps up, takes a risk, brings Saul to the other apostles. Friends, we all know how powerful relationships are in our lives. Think of the people that influenced you, that have helped bring you to Christ. Now this doesn't mean we don't have friends who are unbelievers. We do. But as we learned in our 40 days campaign, we need quality spiritual relationships to feed our faith. We need fellowship with other believers. Saul is realigning his relationships where he's, he, he invests himself with other followers of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Whether you grow up in the faith and gradually come to a mature faith or you have a sudden conversion, you become a new creation in Christ. Saul's life is evidence that his conversion is genuine because he changes his thinking, his priorities, and his relationships. And at some point, his name is changed from Saul to Paul. And that indicates to people his repentance and his new faith and his relationship to Christ. Saul's conversion and change then results in his commission, his new assignment. In Acts 9.15, the Lord says to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Despite his fear of Saul, Ananias obeys. He goes to, to Saul, he lays hands on him, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Saul regains his sight and after several days he starts preaching in the synagogues in Damascus that Jesus is the Son of God. We need to notice here that when God calls us to anything, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He fills us. He anoints us with the Spirit. We're not expected to step out and, and do ministry, whatever it is, in our human strength. We are promised the Holy Spirit who will produce fruits of character, equip us with abilities and gifts, and energize us to fulfill our purpose. Now, Paul is especially chosen for this task. He has a unique task, 
but God's not going to allow him to become proud. Jesus includes he will suffer for the name of Christ. And Paul wrote about these sufferings in 2 Corinthians 11. Listen for the different things that he experiences in being a missionary. He says, I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been in danger from rivers, bandits, from my fellow Jews, from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have often gone without sleep. I have made known, I have known hunger and thirst. I have been cold and naked. And in the end, tradition has it that the Roman government executed Paul, that he was beheaded. Now all through this hardship, Paul fulfills his calling. He starts churches, and those churches multiply, and they are linked to what we are today. And we can add to the fact this fact that his letters to the Galatians and the Romans, those two books in the New Testament, changed a man named Martin Luther in the 1500s, changed his thinking, and started the Reformation in the 1500s. Paul's willingness to accept his sufferings and fulfill his call made him one of the most influential people in the history of the world. Now, besides this big picture of Paul's conversion, we can also say that his conversion and his change and his commission are for each one of us personally. Looking at our other scripture in 1 Timothy, Paul writes a letter to his protege, Timothy. And in verse, chapter 1, verse 15, he describes himself as the worst of sinners. But for that very reason, being the worst of sinners, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Church, these are precious words for us. If you believe Jesus for eternal life, or if you do not yet believe on him for eternal life, Paul's conversion is for your sake. Paul's conversion is a demonstration of the long suffering and the perfect patience of God towards rebellious sinners. And it demonstrates the power of his sovereign grace. Before Paul is converted, his life is a long, long trial to Jesus. Why do you persecute me, Jesus asks. 
Everyone's life of unbelief and rebellion is a persecution of Jesus. Paul's life was an abuse of God, a rejection and mockery of Jesus who loves him. And this is why Paul says his conversion is a demonstration of the long-suffering of Jesus. And that is what he offers us this morning. It is for our sake that Jesus does, he does it the way he does it. To show his patience to us so we do not lose heart. When, so that we do not lose heart when we don't think he can really save us. When we doubt that he really loves us. When we worry that he's always angry at us or that we've wandered too far away from him. And to not give up praying for those and loving on those whose hearts are hard and unbelieving. For those of you who are seekers with a sincere desire and willingness to act upon what you hear, you too can ask, as Saul did, Who are you, Lord? Who are you? Because you can know who Jesus is. Millions of people living today testify to that. We may not have met the risen Jesus exactly the same way Saul does, but we can come to know him in a personal way. We can have assurance he's alive and that he is the Lord. When you come to know that, and when we receive Jesus with a living faith as the one who died for us and rose again, our lives can be transformed. This too we learn from Saul, the chief of sinners and the worst of doubters. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we confess you as the same one who confronted Saul thousands of years ago on a road to Damascus. And we know and believe that you can change the hardest heart. And we pray that we would be encouraged by Paul's testimony today. That we would be encouraged that you have eternal salvation towards. Well, no, it's not eternal, is it? But you have long-suffering and great patience for us. We know that comes to an end when we die. But Father, we thank you for that encouragement, especially when we doubt, especially when we fall short. And we thank you that there is grace and forgiveness. Lord, help us to keep praying for those who it seems like will never consider Jesus to be their Savior. We pray that they too may be humbled and that they too may be convicted of their sin and have a revelation from you. Lord, for anyone here that that's the case, we pray that you would break through their hearts and lead them to yourself. 
Again, we thank you for your great patience and love. May we not take it for granted. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's uh, receive.